Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Might have missed it, but Cleveland played an unnamed role in the January 6th hearing last night, the stirring two hours that reminded America of just how close Donald Trump brought this country to the end of its democracy. Something we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi. Lisa, you, you just couldn't watch that without being struck by how close we came to losing it. Yeah, and a lot of the video that they showed was familiar to some people. We've seen some of these clips over and over again, but they were woven into like a montage and a, and a timed narrative of what went on. We also saw never before, before seen footage, and we saw footage from different angles. Like there was one that was up above, like on the top of the Capitol building looking down, and you could really see, you know, from that aerial view, you know, how they were storming the Capitol and, and what was going on. But it, it was a very interesting two hours. I did watch all two hours yesterday. It was pretty interesting stuff. Um, just a note for people who don't know, uh, they called the committee called James Goldston, who is the former ABC News president and a producer of some of their news shows, to produce this. And as you and I talked about just earlier, is that it, you could see that. You could see the, I don't want to use the word Hollywood of it, but you could see that it was well-produced. It was polished. And what what they're trying to show and effectively, I think, that this was a plot from the beginning. I mean, it goes back to what they talked about a meeting in November that Donald Trump had with people in his office. And that night he put out the tweet calling people to come in. They're going to methodically go through how this was a coordinated effort to try and overthrow the government. And what surprised me they focused a great deal on the Proud Boys, the, the mm-hmm. lunatic group that thinks they're the, the saviors of the United States. And they were the ones that broke through the line. And they took you back to when Donald Trump was asked about the Proud Boys. And he said, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. And what you learned from that last night was that tripled their membership or more That was set in Cleveland. That was the presidential debate in Cleveland, which was also a super spreader event for the coronavirus, (laughs) if anybody remembers. But but it was that very combative debate where Donald Trump would not stop interrupting and and would not Mm -hmm. let people get a word in edgewise. And when he made that call out, you know, he Chris Wallace was asking him to condemn these hate groups, these white supremacist groups. And rather than do that, he made a call out to them, which you could argue then that was the root of the insurrection that started to build that group so that later when he said come on in they were ready yeah so and and the proud boys even said that they even said standing by sir so they saw it as a as a overt call to action which obviously played out and it was an interesting mix they had the videos they had a video testimony from some white house aides they also had two live 
interviews there. Carolyn Edwards, who is a Capitol Police officer, very blonde and attractive, but told a great story. She got knocked over at the east entrance trying to keep the bike rack in place and hit her head and hit her chin and she was injured and then she was later pepper sprayed. And then they had documentarian Nick Quested who was embedded with the Proud Boys. So he was in the thick of it when, you know, the Proud Boys were moving towards the Capitol. Yeah, she she had never been heard from before, and you know she was knocked unconscious. When she came to, she got up, got back into it, talked about how this was a battle. She was slipping in blood, and she's not trained for battle. That's not part of being a police officer is to have, you know, armed hand-to-hand combat. Laura? I was just thinking the same thing, that if this were anywhere else with anyone else, they would have been shooting all of these people who were— overtaking the capital of these were i mean it's it, it because they're american citizens right that n- more people were not hurt that if you could imagine these being anyone else there would have been a lot more bloodshed that day because you look at it and they are just protecting themselves they're not being aggressors here and they're getting what? attacked yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that at one point that the police didn't shoot because they were being attacked. I mean, yes. they, the police were injured. They were I mean, it it was a frightening scene, you know, and there are Republicans out there like Ted Cruz that act like, yeah, this is just some visitors. This was just a protest. And watching this, you know, it's not strangely absent. His name was completely absent last night it was Jim Jordan, who in the weeks leading up to this hearing has been a chief figure of it because he was spending so much time talking to the president. I wonder if that means he will be featured prominently in a later hearing. I should point out that during the hearing, he was tweeting left and right nonsense about where is the hearing on the the formula shortage? Where is the hearing on murders in cities acting like this is just one of many American problems, not the threat it was to our entire constitution and government. Well, I feel like Jordan is definitely going to come up and, you know, Sabrina Eaton has reported that. But it seems like they have a very, you know, planned out approach to how they're going to lay out this entire case. So I'm sure they know what they're doing. I, I, the one nugget that I took away from this was that there was mention last night that the, an unknown number of Republican members of Congress asked for pardons, preemptive pardons after 1-6. So I'm sure they have that list, and I wonder who is going to be on it. Yeah, that was Lynn Cheney was was it was an interesting choice. She's a Republican and she she led a lot of the charge. And when she said that, it was like, whoa, how many Republicans realized that what they did was wrong? If you accept a pardon, that's an admission of guilt. That's part of the pardon process. That's what Gerald Ford used to tell people when people said, why did you pardon him? He should have he should have been found guilty. And he said to accept a pardon is to admit your guilt. So all those people that asked for pardons were basically saying, I committed a crime. Mm-hmm. So anyway, fascinating stuff. It's a chilling moment for America. I hope a lot of people were watching because the fiction that this was just another day in the park has got to go away. This was as serious a threat as we've ever seen to the government of the United States. And it was all coordinated from the White House. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Why won't the state unemployment office do better job explaining the notice that many of us are receiving two years after reporting potential fraud in our names? Laura, I got this email and it turns out a bunch of people in our newsroom got this email from a company saying, this is a reminder that you're eligible for credit reporting. I never got the first notice, so I don't know what it's a reminder of, but nothing from the unemployment office previously had come by email. And I'm sitting here thinking, is this a scam? Is this something? The unemployment office did a terrible job of letting people know this was coming. It turns out it's legit. Are you shocked that the unemployment office did a terrible job of communicating <laughs> something? Really? Um, but no, you're with you're right. And Laura Hancock, bless her heart, she had to work on the story yesterday. She called them multiple, multiple times and didn't get any answers to this until after five o'clock yesterday. So hats off to Laura. Thank you for keeping out this. But these are legit. There was sent via mail and email to more than 565,000 Ohioans. Laura said we couldn't get an answer on why some were mail and some were email, but the company is IDX. It's the company handling it. And the co- the state has talked about IDX in the, in the past and said they were going to offer these services. And they estimated the cost would be 588000 to $748,000, depending on how many people enroll. Obviously, that's going to be a a cost to the state taxpayers. That includes the company launching and maintaining the service, notifying individuals of your eligibility, which apparently that's what you got, Chris, maintaining a website for enrollment and providing contact center support. So I I don't know how good their their customer support is going to be if it's anything like the unemployment office. But, But here's the problem. It's two years later. Yep. I mean, what good is what it good is protecting my credit now, two years after the attempted fraud? And look, I want to remind people that the state did not make the extent of the fraud known until actually I got that notice and we did some stories about it. And then I wrote a column about it and got bombarded by people who had gotten the same kind of thing. I got a notice that somebody had tried to open an account up in my name. It's just this has been just screwed up from day one and here they are making a mess of it again and again this falls to mike dewine this is his administration wouldn't i think he'd he'd point to john houston right isn't that what he always did when it came to the unemployment i I just don't get what what the use of a credit monitoring two years after attempted fraud on my account means and i you know i i put out a note on on our text messaging yesterday and i heard from all sorts of people yeah i got that too i didn't know what to make of it everybody had the same feeling why am i getting this by email they've never communicated by email before is this somebody sitting in north korea trying to you know empty my accounts just one of the 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 worst performances by a state agency and it continues to be a problem and the only reason they came out and said it's legit is because we had Laura post the story saying lots yeah. of people are getting this and they won't tell us if it's legit. And it took them like three more hours to call up and say, okay, okay, we'll tell you it's legit. I mean, it's just, it, it, what did they say? Our, our press person's on vacation for two weeks. Call back later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Laura like, did tell me, she's like, you know, their, their PR person is on vacation. I have a really hard time getting anybody to answer calls. And she told me this at like, you know, eight o'clock yesterday morning and she was completely right. It was not easy for her to get any kind of answers, which is really, I mean, really sad considering this is a, you know, a service for Ohioans in need. Well, they've been waiting two years. What's another few days, right? Yeah. Let them come back from the Bahamas, for heaven's sake. I, I just, what I wonder now, and maybe we should talk to some financial experts, 
is it is it a good idea to use this service or are you putting yourself in greater risk by going to them and giving them your information? I The whole thing uh, makes me very wiggly. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Well, the unemployment folks are being quite public about what they think is good news. Layla, what, are, what did they put a press release out about to tout themselves? Well, so the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services says that they've recovered $398 million in stolen unemployment benefits. So they're recovering the money. The fraudsters had stolen $527 million from the traditional and pandemic unemployment systems and Several criminals even tried to break into accounts as recently as this spring. It's unclear how many of those thefts are included in this most recent total. To recover the funds, ODJFS shares data with financial institutions regarding potentially fraudulent transactions. The institutions also conduct their own investigations, and they rely on internal safeguards and, and return funds flagged as suspicious. So through those means... This $398 million return so far includes almost $70 million from PayPal because you can receive your benefits through PayPal and over $41 million from 32 other banks. ODJFS has recovered an additional $30.2 million through federal law enforcement seizures and $17.8 through voluntary repayments, offsets and returns from other states. So that's what they're saying is their good news. You know, apparently, you know, this, I guess the whole thing could have been a whole lot worse had the U.S. Treasury's automated clearinghouse network not blocked the distribution of hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> in additional transactions through their their system. So I guess we should feel lucky. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm glad they got some money back. I mean, because across the country, there's billions of losses here. But my question has been from the beginning, is anybody going to go to jail for this? This is fraud on an unprecedented scale. Or is this going to be like the the mortgage crisis where none of the bankers went to jail, even though they collapsed the U.S. economy for two years? Yeah, do they identify the actual fraudsters? What's the accountability system? So, I mean, we would, have the money recovered, but what about the actual thieves? Yeah, you would think that with the law enforcement apparatus we have in this country, there'd at least be somebody charged. There'd be some group charged. Maybe you can't get people sitting over in North Korea and Russia who are scamming us. But I don't know. I just uh, you don't ever hear about accountability. And, you know, we have people sitting in prison for, for you know, stealing ten thousand right. dollars. This was billions. So who's accountable other than the state for for giving the money away wrongly. Well, like I said, they, they were willing to provide information about this, even if they're difficult with about Don't ask any else. more questions, though, because <laughs> they're on vacation this week. So. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. Hey, getting back to January 6th, Jim Jordan went on the offensive before the hearing last night, attacking the people behind the investigation Lisa, Sabrina Eaton wrote a, a story laying out all of what he's saying. Did he say anything we have not heard before? He really did not, because I was looking back through my notes. He sent a letter to the select committee to investigate the 1-6 attacks on May 26th. He was responding to their subpoena, and he said this almost the same things in that May 26th letter in the letter that he sent yesterday to the committee just before the hearings opened. He again questioned the legitimacy of his 
a subpoena. It lacks a constitutional ba- basis. It's harassment. It weakens my future position. And it's, you know, my actions were not a nefarious plot. So yeah, he's going over some well-traveled ground here. And he, you know, Thompson's letter to Jordan indicates that there is evidence to support his major role in the effort to overturn the election. Uh, Benny Thompson, the committee chair, pointed out the many inconsistencies in Jordan's public statements. He says, hey, if you have nothing to hide, Mr. Jordan, please come to the committee and clarify your statements. And Jordan again asked for all of the materials that mentioned his name. So really nothing new. But I actually went to the Newsmax, the right-wing news site Newsmax, and they had an interview with Jim Jordan uh, from Wednesday. And he his new claims are that the committee wants to get rid of the Electoral College and stop Trump from running in 2024. He also questioned the hiring of that ABC News president, former president, to who's producing the the hearings so yeah he's <laughs> well he's, he's sweating bullets i think I, I think a lot of people want to stop trump from running the 2024 because he did mastermind a scheme to try and overthrow the government in the united states i mean he really should not be allowed on the ballot and ultimately i think merrick garland might file charges involving this when the hearings are over do you do you suspect look there are lots of people that are common sense and sane and and looking at what happened with a clear view that this was a plot to throw out the votes of Americans and install basically a dictator. So Jordan's claims are not going to change anybody's minds. They, they, they can see it with their own eyes. Is this just to fan the flames with Tucker Carlson and Fox News and, and that crowd? You know, there, there's a group that watches Fox News every night and as preposterous as the lies are, they believe it. Is this just to fortify that base? I would believe so because, you know, Jordan is cranking out the talking points that Fox and Newsmax and OAN are using. Elise Stefanik is another one who's cranking out the same talking points. So this is their counter narrative. And from what I understand, I haven't been able to uh, verify it, but apparently Tucker Carlson was so afraid of people channel surfing away from him during commercial breaks that they didn't have commercial breaks for his show last night. Like I said, I haven't (sighs) verified that, but I've seen several reports wow. of that. Wow. Wow. That, that's fascinating. That's, that's gross. So they don't want people to hear the facts and make judgments for themselves. They want them to listen to Tucker Carlson's fictions and believe those. What's sad is how effective that's been for that, for the group that watches Fox news and watches Tucker Carlson, they actually buy it. And you used to think better that people use their powers of independent thought, but they just buy it. And I get it in email. They trot this stuff out to me. There's a guy every night, every morning sends me a summary of what Tucker Carlson said the night before. <laughs> like, like that's going to move me. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't send notes back saying shame on you, but shame on people that buy that nonsense. It's today in Ohio. What is the significance of State Representative Laura Lanise deciding at the last minute not to run for re-election? Laura? I think it must be the name because she is one of the few moderate, sensible Republicans in the House, I think. Um, when Andrew Tobias got the scoop, Laura Hancock pointed out that Lanise wasn't there in the State House for issues, social issues like abortion. She just wants to create a business environment for Ohio to thrive. And it's become harder and harder, I think, for moderate Republicans to remain in 
in power and in politics in Ohio. So she's the last Republican in Franklin County's House delegation. And her retirement paves the way for David Dobos. He's a former Columbus School Board president. He's facing Democrat Russell Harris in the general election in November. I believe this is a toss-up district so we could actually see a real race. She announced on Facebook, didn't give a reason, just said she's retiring with mixed feelings and she will miss many aspects of the job. But, you know, across the country, we've seen lots of moderate Republicans, Republicans who stand for what they stood for during the Reagan years and the George Bush years drop out. Mm-hmm. It's all, it's like they're being drummed out of existence by the Trumpy part of the Republican Party, which is wholly redefined that party to be as fringe, crazy, bent on dictatorship as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at um um, Anthony Gonzalez in my district, right? He's gone. He's he's stepping down, and I don't think that he's. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I mean, it obviously plays in the role of all the Trump stuff, voting um, the way he did. It's just hard, I think, to get anything done with your fellow Republicans if they're like, nope, he's not. He's not conservative enough for us. He does, you know. I, and I think that's really sad because a lot of Ohioans, a lot of Americans, are moderate people and they want to see sensible reasonable thoughtful people who work with others but but by buckling to have moderates buckling like this you're basically paving the way for the fascists to be the the determinants of the party it's sad when moderates like gonzalez and and she drop out because it leaves no hope that all that's left is going to be the road to fascism you know, which we're talking about at the same time we're talking about the hearing last night where we saw what those forces can do when they move people into nefarious acts. It's a sad uh, day when people I, like her give up. I completely agree. And I just want to say uh, say some of the bills that she sponsored, and none of them have cleared the House, but includes a proposal to repeal House Bill 6, which, you know, obviously biggest corruption. Uh, a bipartisan House Bill 121, which would eliminate spousal exceptions for some sex offenses. And then House Bill 690, a bipartisan proposal to require that at least one member of the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio be nominated by the Ohio Consumers Council, which obviously is the state utility consumer watchdog agency. And think about all the times we've talked about all the problems and scandal with the PUCO. These things are things that would help Ohioans and protect tax dollars, and they're not even getting out of the House. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Well, speaking of First Energy, First Energy Stadium is 25 years old and it needs millions of tax dollars from some major maintenance. Layla, what will those millions of dollars pay for? Well, three million of the ten million that Cleveland City Council approved this week it will pay for new pedestrian ramps that take fans to the stadium's upper levels. Apparently, the decks on the current ones have rusted out and the concrete has deteriorated, so there's some safety concerns about that. One and a half million is going to go for a new heater. The current heater is arcing and sparking, and uh, it's so old that apparently replacement parts aren't available anymore, so they have to replace the whole thing. And the other expenses include a million for concrete repairs throughout, a million for replacement doors, uh, about a million for repairs to structural joints on the plaza level, and nearly 
800000 for replacement lights and fixtures in the plaza. And all of this is, is required of the city's 30-year lease with the Browns. It expires in 2028. $8 million for the repairs are going to be paid through the syntax revenues, and a little more than a million will come from the city's general fund. Altogether, the city has spent about $43 million on repairs to the stadium since 2017. And you know, they use this facility, what, like eight times a year, plus the occasional Kenny Chesney concert or whatever. So <laughs> you do the math uh, to see how, how uh, you know, how how well spent this money is. It's kind of the, the uh, perennial debate in Cleveland <laughs> every time these things come up. Is it worth it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the tough thing was the city was in a jam to get the team back after Modell yeah. moved it. They had to build a stadium fast, and so they put it on the site of the old one on the lake. And you know what happens when you put steel near bodies of water? <laughs> it <laughs> rusts. So it, it's not surprised. Plus, in a quarter century, everything needs maintenance. And so it's hard to believe that that stadium's already reached 25 years. The city owns it. They've got to keep it up. Uh, and so this just comes out of our pockets. But you're right. It's the least used stadium sports facility in Cleveland. It might be used a little more if they won, but they don't do that yeah. as often. I mean, as city council, as always, was a little divided on whether we should be pouring so much public money into stadiums. Councilman Kevin Bishop likened it to stealing from the poor and giving to the rich. You know, I'm not going to argue with him. But Council President Blaine Griffin reminded council that decades ago, the city made this commitment to support the professional sports teams in this way. And he said the city reaps benefits from it. So um, he raised some other concerns about whether enough of the Cleveland-based minority and women-owned women businesses were getting enough work from the stadium investments. And that's a different concern altogether. But I guess I guess we I guess there's some local benefit. I don't know. We, we always talk about this. When when the Browns were gone, was there this big hole in the economy as a result of that? It their- wasn't the economy. It was in the soul of Cleveland. Cleveland has long, more than any other sports team, identified with the Browns. What, I, what I'm interested in, did anybody bring up Deshaun Watson? I mean, that, the Browns have never made a decision this bad. This is, you know, there are people saying worst football decision in history. It's blowing up every week that goes by. I, I, if I were opposed to spending money on the stadium and I were on city council, I certainly would have used that saying, you know, really, do we want to continue to support a team that, that makes decisions this bad? Yeah. Did that, did that, but I guess that didn't come I up. Guess, they were talking. I mean, I guess at this point, at this, at the council committee table during this discussion, it's just probably not, the moment isn't ripe for that because there, this are, you know, this was baked into the lease. I think they're required to spend this money. They twenty twenty eight is uh, is when when this all of this will come back up for for renewal. So they'll be back. They'll be okay. fighting it out again, or asking for a new one. We'll <laughs> That's see. Right. It's today in Ohio. East Cleveland has no end of financial and legal issues, as we've often discussed. But now it has a new one. An accusation saying police officers harassed a political opponent of the mayor. Lisa, that's new. We haven't seen that before. What are the specifics here? A 74-year-old William Thambro, who is an East Cleveland resident, filed a suit in federal court against East Cleveland Mayor Brandon King, the police chief Scott Gardner, and other policemen, and law director Willa Hemmins. He's alleging that he was 
harassed and retaliated in a dispute over his van. He's got a big van that's outfitted with uh, loudspeakers, and he was using it to campaign for King's mayoral opponent, Juanita Gowdy. So he got a written warning back in May of last year about RVs not being allowed to park on the streets or the driveways in the cities. He said, it's always been parked there. He's never been sighted before. Three days later, police tried to tow the vehicle, couldn't do it. He went to the city, got a permit to put speakers on the van. Then a couple of days later, a police captain questioned him about it. Two days later, Fanbro filed a citizen complaint with the Cuyahoga County Sheriff because he felt like he was being harassed. So about a month after that complaint was filed, seven officers show up at his house, cite him for illegal parking and noise, and they impounded the van. And he said there was a van parked up the street that they didn't cite and had never cited. He had to pay over $600 to get his van back when he got it. It was severely damaged. The ignition wires were disconnected. He thought that was suspicious and it was about $6,000 in damages. But wait, there's more. The assistant law director, Heather McCullough, the suit alleges that she told Fambro to watch himself and mind his own business going forward. She was citing his complaints and he had filed some public record requests as well. Fambro is being... Uh, uh, represented by attorneys from the Virginia-based nonprofit Institute for Justice, and they work on government abuses of power cases. Yeah, and that's what's new. We haven't seen the mayor accused of using the police as an arm of his muscle to stop dissent and opponents. I mean, for somebody to say to watch out, you know, you got to watch what you're saying and mind your business is really not a good thing. The sad thing for this guy, as we've said, is they don't have any money. They have so many judgments that they're never paying that a lot of attorneys won't file suit against them anymore because there's no return. This sounds like it's more of they want the determination that the city did it. They want mm -hmm. somebody to arbitrate and say, yes, the mayor used his power inappropriately. The police did something wrong. We'll be following that case. It's today in Ohio. We recorded a special episode of this podcast this week to see if reasonable people could reach consensus on abortion. Laura will be publishing it tomorrow. How do you think it went? I was really surprised. Well, not surprised. I was heartened by how it went and really glad to see that we had a, a very thoughtful, reasonable discourse about reaching an agreement of what a constitutional amendment in Ohio could be to allow abortion, what kind of specifics should be in it, what kind of limits. And it really got off to a great start with a registered nurse named Matt who came on and spoke saying he believed it should be a decision between the healthcare provider and the patient. And we talked about how we could write something like that. Yeah, it, I, I was really impressed. It was great to have Matt speak first because mm -hmm. it changed the whole direction of I, I completely of agree, yeah. Um, and, and it was such a common sense thing and everybody gravitated to it. But the other thing was, there was definite sense that if you don't put in a hard limit, with exceptions, mm -hmm. that you won't get it passed. And so the, the, there was very much a feeling like that. So check it out. We'll be publishing it tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Laura has a story about it that will go on our website, cleveland.com, at the same time. It's Today in Ohio. We're wrapped up for another week of news. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast. <laughs>